DJing, which is like I had planned my life around my DJ career. And I and I didn't realize I was doing that, but I now I know that that's what I was doing. <laughs> okay, so, so this goes good to plan. Of course, yeah. it's not your parents' plan. They had other plans for you, but you you had to go with your gut feelings. So when I said to you before about having a big pair of kahunas to take the risk, yeah. to try to fight them and say, no, I know better. Mm-hmm. And and I and I did. I had to I had to fight them on it. And I knew, you know, like people always ask me, like even to this day, like what do I need to do to become a DJ? Like girls as well, right? Yeah, please tell us. What do I need? What do we need to do to become a DJ? You know, like honestly, like to uh, uh, like in this day and age, to have longevity, should I say? It takes, it takes a lot. Like you really have to like want to do this. It's not like, you know, like you really, really want, like back in the day, as you know, like you had to spend money on records. You had to spend money on equipment. It wasn't like just laptop, plug it in and all that, right? It was an expensive hobby. So for me, I really, really wanted to do this because I was, you know, willing to spend the money. I was willing to, like, like sleep at the train station at three in the morning and, like, so that I could get back home or whatever or back to university, to my university halls and things like that. I'm like, there's not many people that would, like, go through that, right? Like, you have to really, really, really want to do it. Now everything is, like, so much easier but, you know, it kind of, I don't know. Like, do you, I mean, do you agree? <laughs> I mean, it is a little bit more easier. You want to tell you the truth? Mm. I should explain this to people, and I've spoken to other DJs about this as well. If you're doing this as a hobby, mm-hmm. then you work the regular job and you've put a little time into it and don't expect a big return. Yeah. If you want to do this as a career, a career, not a job. A career, yeah, exactly. 24 hours a day on a nine-day week. What does that mean, everyone? You're always doing something with with music or business or you're constantly grafting, as you call in England. You graft. Yeah. Even when you're sleeping, you're thinking next moves. Traveling, like you said, DJing, like... I'm going to Tenerife in January. Like, I'm already thinking what I'm doing. I'm already working on records. I'm trying to get an album done. True House Stories. I'm working on a remix. I got this in track source. We got a Spotify release. You know what it's like. And if you don't put the time and balance, and that's the thing. And don't forget, if you have a family, meaning you're a parent, you got to play that juggling act too and be able to balance that with the music and all those wonderful things. So mm-hmm. that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and I've been fortunate, like, I mean, fortunate, I don't know what the right thing to say is, but um, I've never had a job before. So, I mean, I had, like, a student job, like, to buy records, but, like, you know, that was, like, in a supermarket or whatever, right? I worked in McDonald's when I was 16 or whatever, but never actually had a career, like, a different career. I've always just DJed. This is all I've ever done. Um, and that takes a lot, like, especially from a young age, because a lot of people would be like, no, I need to have something to fall back on, blah, 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 blah. But my life has literally just been about music. I went to university. I did music technology. Where's that? Where's that going to get me? Do you know what I mean? It's not going to get me a job. Um, I, you know, I just knew that whatever I, you know, did, it had to be this. So, okay. So, so this yeah. brings me to the next part of this because now as I'm learning, I'm, I'm actually reading the tea leaves, as we say. <laughs> it's wonderful that you're explaining it, so I'm really getting a good grasp of it. Mm-hmm. So, you coming from the '90s, the same mm-hmm. era as like I, uh, you know, I played through the whole '90s into the 2000s, and you are seeing the change. And you're developing your gigs and you keep going. You're going one gig after another, strength to strength, as we call it, getting better and better. Magazines are taking a picture and, you know, the press is working. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Mm -hmm. This whole MySpace begins. 
And that was the beginning of it, MySpace, because you'll remember this. MySpace, everyone. Everybody remember MySpace? How many friends you had on MySpace? What's MySpace? That was your first Facebook, everybody. So when MySpace came, how did you see yourself developing this career of DJing now that you're going to be going into the next step? You know what's crazy is by the time MySpace came about, I had a job on the BBC because I, I... Ah, you did have a job! Yes, I was a radio presenter on the BBC. By the time MySpace was a thing. I was at university and I had more jobs than any human. I had like five jobs. I was like traveling, I was a promoter, I was like traveling on the weekends to different countries and then coming back on like a Monday to, for lectures at university. And on, and on top of that, I had my radio show at the BBC. Um, it was just like chaos. Like my life, just like now, is still chaos. But, <laughs> but it was like crazy. And so by the time like MySpace and like, you know, social media came about, I was already, I already had a long career. <laughs> like even like at that point, you know what I mean? I'd already made a name for myself. And, uh, you know, people knew me in the scene, which is the reason why the BBC reached out to me to like pilot for a show. Like I never wanted to, I, if you were to ask me like, Hey, do you want to present a radio show where you're on, like there's a microphone in front of you? I was so shy. I wanted nothing to do with it. But they came to me because they were looking for like young talent and, you know, like someone that's in the scene, like been around for a bit or whatever. And I, I was like, okay, I guess. And I, all these things just kept falling into place. And while I was also studying at university and it was, yeah. So, uh, social media and everything, I was like, See, this is, why I love this, show. this is why I love this show, people. Now we get the nitty gritty. We're opening the tea leaves. We're getting each piece and we're finding out that she didn't need no MySpace. Like had- I said, it was all word of mouth. Everything was word so, of mouth. So, so here's the thing. You go to BBC. Mm-hmm. Bring us down BBC's road. You're right now DJing. You're running lectures. You're doing all that. What goes on with this? Who? Who confronts you or is an agent? And how does this all come together, the BBC thing? Didn't have an agent. I basically just was approached by, can't remember, I was at, at a gig or something. And like one of the executives of the station was like, hey, I would really love it if you came in to do a pilot. I was like, who the hell are you? I don't know you, whatever. Anyway, they like followed up called me and they kept calling me and be like, hey, we want you um, to come and do a pilot for one extra. We want you to come and do a pilot for this, this, this. And I would, I, I remember turning up there with my records and I'd be like, all right, what do you want me to do? I don't know. <laughs> and um, I just did, you know, a couple of pilots or whatever. And they basically like, like molded me into a radio presenter. Like they trained me. I I remember like being in training for like maybe like six months or maybe a year even before I even had my first show. And then first, like the first uh, time that I went on radio, they were like, right, you ready? And I was like, no. And they were like, my cup, (laughs) just do it. And I was like, ah! like panicking, but I just, you know, you know what it's like when you're thrown into the deep end, you just figure it out. Right. And that's. So wait, 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 wait. How does one train for six months? What's the training? Like what's involved with training? Hi, I'm paper. Hello, BBC. Where they get, where they get, they can do this over. Give me like a script and you would do like pilot shows or whatever, and they would record them. And then they make me listen back to them and be like, what would, what do you think you could have done differently? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm not like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they're like, well, I think you should do this. And I think you should talk like this. And I think that this, 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 and that's how it was for a while. And I, I was just like, I had no idea. I was so young. I had no idea what was happening. 
was like, that's okay. They loved you. That's why they loved you because they knew you were impressionable. They knew they could mold you. That was the idea. That's why they came to you. They saw you as the voice of the UK, the younger generation, especially One Extra. One Extra is a very young station in a sense. Mm -hmm. no? Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, looking back at it now, that is what they were looking for. And that's what they got. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, after, you know, I was there for like seven years and it, I, I remember like just, I remember how shy I was in the beginning and how I like couldn't talk to people. And, and then like at the end of it, like how much I learned just from being thrown into the deep end. And that was all it was. It was like someone said, hey, I think you should do this and then put the mic up. And then all of a sudden, like, I would not have been able to pick up a microphone. Like, even at my gigs, I would, if someone gave me a microphone before that, I'd be like, no, no way, I'm not speaking on the microphone. And then all of a sudden, it became, I became a character of myself, if that makes sense. Um, totally. You became a performer, in a yeah. sense. And without even knowing it, like, I had no idea. I, I didn't know, you know. But that's... You know, that's one thing that I take away from that is it gave me the confidence to, you know, just be able to do this <laughs> a little bit. For those that don't know, what was the name of the show on One Extra that you had for seven years? So I used to do the hip-hop show on One Extra, and then there was also BBC Asian Network, which, okay, so I should tell you this. I don't know if this is appropriate. Maybe it is or whatever. Everything's appropriate for True House Stories. Go ahead. So here's, here's the bad part. Of, of not knowing what the hell is going on or what you're being pushed into. I didn't know that I was being groomed to be the brown girl, the the brown Annie Mac, the brown face of of the brown station. I found like looking back in wait, wait, wait. and the wait, reason wait. the reason why I left Wait, wait, wait. I forgot to ask you, what ethnicity are you? Of course, English, we know, but yes. what's genetics, the background genetics? Yeah, so my, I mean, my parents are from Africa, they're from Kenya, but they're Indian, right? And see, this is another thing, right? That they're not from India directly, right? I did not grow up listening to Indian music. I didn't grow up listening to, you know, Bangra, Bollywood or anything like that but because I was brown I was basically put into this little box like oh that's the girl that we're gonna pick to do this and that's what she's gonna represent and they basically and this will tick this box and this box and this box and it ticked a lot of boxes so it was a demographic calling for them more yeah. so than talent calling it was demographic and, ta and talent well talent is like you had the young crowd. We're not talking about how good you were. You had yeah. the young crowd because you had the popularity. Yeah. But, but you also uh, yeah. Be so visually, was, visual. Yes, it was de a demographic uh, calling for sure. And, you know, when you're young, you don't know these things. Like, you don't know what's happening. Like, I didn't, I had no idea. And then as time went on, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. I was like, how come that girl got to do that before I did and I've been here for this long? How come that girl gets to cover for Annie Mac, this white blonde chick gets to cover for Annie Mac, but hold on, I play the same things as her and I'm very capable of doing that job. And I realized that I was basically just, you know, their little puppet. So... <laughs> it was like their little puppet to tick boxes and and I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. So I left after seven years and it was the best decision I ever made, I think. Um, because then I finally got to do like what I really wanted to do, which was actually make music. I couldn't do that when I was on the BBC. I'd finished university by then. I'd done all these things. And the one thing that I had never done is release music. I was like, this is insane. And when I was on the station, you have to sign a, um, what do you call it? A uh, conflict of interest thing, right? And 
you can't play your own music or whatever. So, and also the show took so long to prepare every week. I had no time for anything in between DJing and doing the show. I had no time to do anything. So when I left, I was like, now I can finally do what I really want to do, which is just DJ and just produce music. So I started, you know, going to the studio, I started producing music. Um, and yeah, it was the best thing that I think I could, could have ever done. So, yeah. Good on you. But you know what? I'm really saddened to hear about the racism. I know. I mean. I'm really saddened to hear this. It's, it's, it's. It's uh, not, let me just say this to you before you, uh they make sure they don't make it so obvious. They keep it very proper for a while. They kept you groomed in the right spot and kept Uh you pseudo happy enough. Yep. You won't cause any problems or raise flags. Yeah, but when I started raising flags... What happened? Like... What'd you say? What was the first thing you said? You must have went to say, what the hell is going on here? I was like, wait, why do I have to play this song? I don't even like it. I don't... I like. Wait, were you telling me? They were telling you what? They were dictating to you? Yeah, they would... So I, I would have to play, like, a certain percentage of uh, music by a brown artist. And I was like, fine, I will do that. I would I would do that. I would do that, but only shit that I like, right? But then when they when in the beginning for the first three years, they were like, no, no, no. Like to the point where I remember when I was in training, right? That one of the executives came to my university dorm room and and came and dropped off a box of records of like music like Bollywood and Bangra music. And I was like, what? the hell is going on right now and he basically marked on the records like all the the songs that were like he, he was like you should play this because this is da, da, da. so he was like teaching me or whatever which was fine like I have nothing against that right I was learning or, and I was like okay this is mu-. but in my head I'm like I just saw it as music right and I was like I will figure out a way to make this sound cool so I started doing mashups to make it like appealing to me. So I would mix that stuff with like hip hop or like house. And I would like, you know, like just do mashups of stuff because I just didn't, I was like, I'm not going to play this straight. Like I don't even, I, I don't even know what the hell they're saying. Like, I See, don't know. That's what I want you to really say. You, I'm not playing this shite. It's crap. <laughs> it's crap. No, but that's what, like I was, and then eventually I was like, why do I have to play this? I don't even know what they're saying. So like, I don't, do you, why? Yeah, I, I get that. Do you think on the radio one and radio, from radios one through six, I'm not going to name any DJs, but yeah. do you think that those, those nightly shows are predictable in the sense that the powers to be are controlling that playlist? No. So the specialist uh, radio shows, uh, which is the, the late, later shows, right? So I'm not talking about the daytime shows. Daytime shows definitely... Like the record label people have meetings. I shouldn't be saying all of this, but whatever. Uh, the record label people have meetings with the station. Oh, you, wait, you don't wait, wait. You forget to mention payola and vacations. I know all about that. Yeah, so, I don't know. I don't know about payola is an American thing, but I do know that they're all in each other's pockets. So, like for daytime radio, um, like even the BBC, they will have meetings. They'll be like, okay, cool. This, so this needs to be in the top 20 rotation, blah, 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 blah. For the specialist shows, you have like the producers will like, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility. And, you know, one thing I'd say, the BBC are very good at finding talent and finding new music. And they have amazing uh, radio producers that help, with that and that's one thing that I have to say like I took away from that is I met like some of the most amazing people who have now gone on to become like you know executives and like people at other radio stations and whatever right that's the only great thing not the only but one of the uh, good things I got out of that but you know like the specialist radio shows are definitely um less um yeah, you know, 
they're, they're not let's um, use the word let's use the word regulated less regulated yes um good so that's insight i appreciate this insight yeah they're less regulated but at the same time you know uh there's still you know that some of these like underground artists even are sound signed to labels as you know and there's certain labels that are favored more than others and you know it just depends on the producer it depends on the the dj that's presenting the show it depends on the producer for me i was always looking for like new new shit all the time and my i was lucky enough to have producers for my show that like thought the same thing and it wasn't about you know you know just like oh this is my friend or this is the this person assigned to this label they really did care about finding new talent which is what you know i did appreciate that so and because that's what i wanted so now we understand the bbc lifestyle of seven years that's cool and thank you for that because you know again nobody really understands that unless you're inside the machine and you're one of the cogs you know how this whole thing yeah. goes they only think that oh you know it just all of a sudden magically happens no, no it doesn't no there's so much that goes behind even if i i had one sh one three hour show a week and there was so much that went behind it so yeah no it definitely doesn't magically happen it's a big backlash right now to the bbc whole thing right now in the well, yeah. because of racism right isn't that what it is oh yeah and also nobody wants to pay that gosh damn tax to them anymore either Oh, so that's always been going on. Like programming tax. It's like, ooh. <laughs> oh, trust me. Because the thing is, you know, it, the BBC is, is funded by taxpayers' money, right? And when you're paying tax to fund this radio station and they're not giving you what you, you want or you know, controlling, why then why should you be paying for it? Do you know what I mean? But. You know, so they've always, there's always been protests outside every, <laughs> like, major BBC building in London, well, the main one. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's crazy, but that's always been the thing, so, yeah. Now <laughs> I understand why you're so famous now. I get it now, because, you know, the light of BBC shining on your name for such a long time does some funny things. It, it makes your name go places that you probably never thought would ever be noticed because shows like that get played around the world on simulcast constantly and people yeah. do become fans at a time when friendships were early in the algorithm game of the internet and the smartphone, mm -hmm. which now leads me to wonder when I'm assuming with the BBC, the international gigs begin, correct? That all the international um, get called to go play around the world and things? Uh, no, I was doing that from when, like, before. But, um, um, yeah, but more so, more, like, I think in the U.S., the BBC definitely did help. Like, for me to be able to DJ in the U.S. I didn't DJ in the U.S. until, like, 2006. And the reason why I did, my first gig in the U.S. was at SOBs in New York. And um, and I I was asked to come and play there, and I was like, firstly, I'd always wanted to go to New York. Secondly, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, like it's SOBs because that was like a big deal, and um, and yeah, like that's that's how that happened. And then from then, like um, someone saw me there, and then wanted to manage me, and then. All of a sudden, now I have an agent in the US, and like then I started like getting more gigs here, and um, yeah, it was definitely the BBC had a lot to do with that. Otherwise, how would they have known of me? Apart that's from right. That's that's because you know back in the day, in the early part of this DJing scene, a lot of it was based on. For, especially for international gigs, people like myself would get booked on all these great records that we were so-called making and people would bring us because the records were being played at all the nightclubs. So mm -hmm. in your case, the BBC kind of did the same. It brings a lot of luster and excitement around you and it's yeah. pulling power. It's like, hey, you know what? Use it if you got it. What the hell? Yes. Uh, use it and abuse it. Yeah. You know Oh, no, totally. Like, I remember I got booked to do House of Blues in, like, Houston, 
Texas. And I was like, House of Blues? In Houston? Who the hell is going to come to that gig? It's going to be empty. And it was sold out. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, just for me having that show and people listening to me every week, and I had no idea that they were listening to me every week. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, And then I, you know, I get asked to play there, and it was like, oh, okay. This is cool. So for that reason, I don't regret. I don't regret um, doing what I did at the BBC. It was there was a lot of benefits to doing it as well as the bad things. <laughs> no, that's okay. Listen, I appreciated working for the BBC too when I was approached to do the Legends of the Dance Floor, the Larry Levan story. I mean, to me, you couldn't pick a better place to put something like that with them. Yeah, they are the best at documentarian work. So exactly, exactly. And I remember like, I remember I used to do my show sometimes and Pete Tong would be on, on at the same time on Radio One and and the studios were glass, right? They're all like glass boxes. And I would be like, oh my God, it's Pete Tong. I'm literally, I'm doing a radio show right now and Pete Tong is just there. Like, it's crazy. It's insane. Like, I don't, you know, I, I am very thankful that I, for that experience, you know, but couldn't last forever. <laughs> I had to move on. <laughs> so how does now one go from starting to work in America? Okay, so let me, before I even get to the Hollywood question, mm-hmm. tell the people the difference of playing from, say, the North America opposed to Europe and UK. How the oh, different... Complete different thing. You, you guys don't even realize you, you live in a bubble. <laughs> you live in a massive bubble um because you know what i could i remember when i was like coming over here as well as doing my radio show and then djing like in the uk and and the rest of the world i would have specific like playlists where i'd be like only play this in america because there's some there's certain like songs that you can't play any like this you have your own thing going on here do you know what i mean like um what are we talking about? Like Leonard Skin and Sweet Home Alabama? Like what were you told? Only yeah, like at, the, at that time I was doing a lot of open format stuff, right? So I was doing a lot of like mashup stuff, like DJ AM style, like mashup kind of stuff, right? And I can play certain- so I gotta say, before you go any further, AM ruined it for everybody. I'm sorry with that five minute, three second thing in Vegas. I mean, God rest in peace, talented DJ, but he ruined it. He, he t- ruined it? Yeah. Well, he, he became friends with, you know, my, I would, who I would consider one of my really good friends and my mentor, Jazzy Jeff. And then when Jeff started touring with him, um, I was like, okay, so I guess he's cool then. And that's fine. And okay, this is what everyone wants. So when I would come to America, people would actually say to me, um, do an AM type set. And I, I would be like, what? the hell does that mean what like in the morning what does that mean no dj am and i'm like oh okay all right well i kind of basically i was doing the same thing see my point is why are you and then dictating you to do that but at that time at that time in the mid 2000s mid 2006 2007 that's what was happening like if you were an open format dj it was like do what AM does. And the thing is, I was already doing that shit, but except I wasn't famous or whatever. And like, yeah, okay, that's easy. Yes, I can play Michael Jackson into Journey. Cool, oh, awesome. I can do that. I do that at Bungalow 8. Like, it's fine in London. Like, I know how to do it. So I would just come over here and I would just do that. And people were like, okay, this is amazing. And I'm like, no, it's kind of not, but whatever, I can do it. Um, so yeah, I was just like getting booked to do open format gigs where I was like playing mashups and you know all this stuff, and it kind of it. To be honest, it did kickstart my career in the US, being you know being able to do that. But also, you know, like yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. At the same That's time. not what I hear you say. It is bullshit, basically. It's bullshit at the same time because I was like. Well, because basically, you want to play like a radio, basically play all the radio hits, 
boom, real quick, get them in and out, 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 right? Boom, real quick, and then do like little routines in between and blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Been doing that for a very long time. It's not because I'm trying to be DJ AM. I've just been doing that, and it just so happens that you like that, and that's what, you know, it just works. Like, fine. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, for a long time, I was doing that, and honestly, like, you know, when the money comes, you're just like, okay, fuck it. I'll just do it. <laughs> I'll just do it. And that's what I did for a very long time. Um, and then that American crowd is stupid. I'm sorry. And I'm American. I'm going to tell you straight up. People writing that stuff. Yeah, the Americans were sort of stupid. <laughs> yeah, I remember. That was a table service nonsense, too. They wanted that, like. That's how it all, that's where it all started, right? Because before. Like, you know, before, like, what, 2000 and... There was no such thing like that. There was no such thing. I... Or should I say bottle bottle service, right? Bottle Bottle service. You know the thing that uh, annoys the shit out uh, out of me, like, about America? Is the fact that you guys say dance party. What the fuck do you... What else are you supposed to do? Am I allowed to swear this much? I'm so sorry. Um... I'm so sorry if I'm swearing. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. But what do you, what do you mean? Who, who Who's telling you dance party? Who's so, like, so for a long time, I've heard this way. It's like, like, oh, like, it's really, it's, it's really cool. It's a dance party. Like, what do you mean it's a dance party? Of course it's a dance party. That's what you're supposed to Well, you to- understand why. Because what? there was a categorization of a rock party and dance party. No, 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 no not as in dance as in genre. It means like people dance at that. Oh, what do they mean? I know exactly what they mean. Because it rocks. Yeah. You know that that doesn't, no one says that in any other country in the whole entire world. I'm doing a dance party. Because when you go to a party, you're supposed to dance. But I understand it now from living here is like, you you know, I'm in LA right now. They love, they love saying, hey, it's a dance party. Okay, cool. That's amazing. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? party like that's what you're supposed to do right um because you have bottle service here like you have like you know people don't want to dance here like it's like you have to like go to a specific place to dance and that's insane to me that's insane you know that's insane right (laughs) that's insane okay so let me clarify everyone what she just said just remember what you what I'm going to say. In America, the West and the East Coast has up these two big gates. Okay? And America thinks what only happens in America is everything. Nothing else exists anywhere else in the world except in America. Until they travel abroad and they go, Yes. Oh my God, it's a whole other world. I would encourage anyone... Like, if you've never left this country, please just figure out a way <laughs> to get your passport. Um, if you want to go to a festival, go to, like, Cape Barcelona. Go to Spain. Like, go, like, there's so many places that you Caper, hold on. Yeah. Can you tell people about going away from New York, where's the first place they say, I'm going to Florida. <sighs> Right? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm going to most of the people in New York, what do they say? Oh, I'm going down to Florida. Have you been anywhere else? No, no, no. I'm going to Tulum. That's it. Tulum. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh Tulum wow. is not abroad, guys. Yeah, but here's the thing about Tulum. Tulum is a bunch of people from New York that go there to party. Exactly. So they never leave each other. Yes. Carbo doesn't count, guys. You know, St. Bart's does not count. Um Go to, like go somewhere else. Go to Spain. Go to Europe. You know, go to Thailand. Like you know what I mean. Like go and rave somewhere else because this is not. <laughs> this is not just it. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> See how real we get. You haven't explored or you haven't learned until you travel and you assimilate with the people from the place mm-hmm. we have learned over yeah. the years because culturally for me 
I've spent so much time in UK, you're all around the world playing like you, music. You get to learn an education that is invaluable. Your life and your, your let's put it like this, your vision, your blindness come off because, you know, even living in England, people think the same way like America in a sense. Everything that's happening there is only there. Nothing else exists because you're in an island mentality, right? Mm-hmm. No. Say in America, we are Australia. Same thing. Australia, they're far away from everything. It's where it is. But when you start to have to travel, deal with people's languages, deal with their economy, deal with, you know, the stress of everything, mm-hmm. these things change you. Yeah. No, they do. Like, go to Germany and then, like, listen to house music. It's completely oh, different. different. Completely different. Oh my god! Go to the my my biggest dream is to DJ at the Love Parade in Berlin. That's that. If if I get to do that, that's it. I'm I'm just gonna retire and that's it. Do you know what I mean? Like I will I be Carl Cox at the Love Parade and like DJ in front of millions of people. I've done something similar at the Notting Hill Carnival, but it's not the Love Parade in Berlin. That's that is my ultimate dream, you know. Um, yeah, man. Like, if you want to like listen to music, travel. Like, there's so much music out there. There's so many different vibes and so many different cultures. Yeah, okay, but you ask people this. Like, look, many years I was space resident in Ibiza. I invited people from New York. Oh, I'm coming, Lenny. I want to come. When you get the house, and you say to them, okay. I have the room, so you could come stay with me. None of them wanted to come. They were afraid to travel abroad. It was like, but I'm here. I'll get you from the airport. No, but you told me for years I would come. I would come. And they never came. It's just, you know what it is? Mm. It's a fear factor thing. It's it's the unknown. It's the fear of, you know, they're not going to feel comfortable in the surroundings. It's like, well, I also think it's like how, you know, like, like, you know how I say that you guys live in a bubble? I honestly do believe that because of, you know, like if you watch your news, they don't report about anything else apart from American news. Like everything is, is based around what happens in this country, right? Whereas if you, like in the UK, I was like so used to watching, you know, BBC News and then you would just know what's going on in different countries, right? I, being here, especially for two years, not going home, right? I've realized how much information I am not, not being told living in this country. I'm not trying to shit on this country, by the way. Like, I learned, there's so many things about this country. No, 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 you're explaining, you're explaining from the outside and now being in the inside. Yeah. And knowing the difference. And that's a different thing. The different. Out, yeah. The outside. Inside now being part of the system and used to being certain things in your life that are normal are not normal here. No, they're not. And honestly, like, you know, like what, like, I have to tell I have to say one thing, like, you know, what happened in the last few years or what happened last year with, you know, the election, Black Lives Matter, like all of the things, George, George Floyd and, and like all of the things that happened. Like I had no idea, like no one knows about what is happening over here. It, it's, it is also like, you know, we do, but like not to the extent, like I didn't know the extent of like how bad it was until like I was here in it and I'm being fed news every single day about the same every single day, right? Like, I didn't know. Like, I had no idea. And it made me, like, it opened my eyes a lot as well. So I'm saying, like, you live in a bubble, but there's also the bubble. Like, there's also, like, in England, they wouldn't report on certain things that, you that, you know, that uh, is a part of your everyday life here. It's crazy. I well, let's mean, be real. let's be clear as well. All the people that love Trump, I understand you're watching the show, and you all know my position on Trump. But I will say this: every day felt like it was a fire in that White House uh-huh. on in in patrol. I'm serious. There was so much stuff going on every day with him coming out with the reports on COVID. It was just overwhelming. Every I just couldn't take it anymore. That's yeah. a, it was a, it was a Trump show every day, all day. But that's the thing, like, you know, it's not like that 
anywhere else. Like it, like if I were like if I was back home in the UK, you don't hear about Trump every single day. It was like I knew when I was here that like you're just being fed like what they want you to hear every single day, and that's it is that's what it is. But as long as you know, then that's fine. But like it's crazy. So now that you're our BBC correspondent, now I'm going to take you out of BBC and i got to bring you into the most important part that yeah. I've talked about from my people. Mm-hmm. Now, you've, you've been blessed to play for the Hollywood stars, like Rihanna and stuff. Mm-hmm. Who was the first that came to you and asked you about playing for them at their, one of their private events? Um, who was the first? Um, I did a... I mean... I did a lot of like celebrity things because that was a thing in the mid 2000s. It was like, oh, okay, you DJ for celebrities, cool, amazing. I didn't care, um, but I just did it because, you know, whatever. Um, but I remember when I was on the BBC, I remember like um, I, um, my agent was like, oh, you're doing this gig. Um, I can't tell you who it's for. And I was like, really? Like, how am I supposed to prep for this gig if you can't tell me who it is? And he was like, trust me, you can't tell me. Like, just do your thing. Um, basically, it turns out that it was, like, uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay who had booked me um, to DJ for Gwyneth Paltrow when he was married to her. And it was her 40th birthday. And he actually, I didn't know this, but they used to listen to my radio show every week. And they would listen to it religiously every single Friday when they're at home. And he booked me as a surprise for her. So I was like, wait, what? And so I get there and I've no idea whose gig it is. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, like whatever. And then he like pops out. He's like, oh, hey, Kayla. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, what's going on here? Um, So that happened like, you know, a few times and then I started doing a lot of like select you like I said you know the DJ AM era or whatever was just all about what celebrity you DJed for and blah 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 but especially if you're an open format DJ and I just I was like all right cool <laughs> just go from one gig to another and it was for how long, this, how long did this segment of your life last this for- segment the, that segment um Probably up until like before the pandemic. Oh, so you were going for a while with that, like 13 yeah. years. Yeah, only because like, I, you know, after I moved here, even in the UK, I was able to, you know, produce house music and do the house thing and do house gigs and whatever. Right. In the US, I only really had an open format DJ career. Like no one knew me as a house DJ. Right. And I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable, like, doing those gigs because it wasn't me. Like, I didn't want to do that anymore. Like, I was miserable. I would, like, go to my gigs and it was just, like, autopilot. I was like, okay, cool. I still do do the gigs well, I think, you know, like, you know, still did what I had to do. Did it, you know, but I, I hated it um, and because... Well, you can, you know why? Because as a consummate professional, you'll complain all the way to the gig, but the minute the thing turns on, yeah. show's on. And then I would just like turn exactly. I would I would be like, oh why? And then like <laughs> and then once once you're in front, you're like, all right, just deal with it, do it, blah, blah, blah. And Transforming, scratching, up, yeah. down, turning. And I was on a hamster wheel. I, the only the best way I can describe it was I was on a hamster wheel of doing the same thing over and over again, but nothing was what I wanted to do. So really and truly, the pandemic was a blessing in disguise for me because I was actually able to be like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to play house music. This is what I enjoy doing. This is what like feeds my soul, makes me feel good. And I never want to go back to, you know, what I was doing before. Or, or if I do, then it has to be, like, what I really want, you know, if I really want to. Do you know what I mean? Like, nothing I was doing before the pandemic was what I really wanted 
to do. Everything was just me being pushed into, hey, do you want to do this? Okay, cool. Hey, do you want to do that? Okay, cool. And now I'm actually like in control of what I want to do, which is I've never, ever in my, uh, like all the years I've been doing this, I've never been able to say that. Like this is finally a time where I'm like, I say no to gigs that I don't want to do. I've cancelled gigs that I don't want to do. Like, even if I've said yes, I'd be like, no, you know what? Don't want to do that. I don't want to go and DJ in Alabama right now for an open format gig. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. So that's, that's well, that. Why, why would you leave the UK to come live in America? What was the driving reason to do that move? So, I mean, to be honest, I say it's because my husband's American and I got married. That's not really the reason, because he could have moved to the UK. The reason is the UK is a small place. You know, it's it's a small place, and I really do feel like I've grown so much as a person, like, moving here. Like, there's not many people that could do what I, I did, right? So I was, like, like you said, I just I just have done things, like, in my life. I just, like, go with it just deal with it, go with it. Um, I have balls, you know what I mean? It takes a lot of balls to move to another country and do what I've done. So honestly, I was like up for the challenge. It's like, cool. Okay, I've been, you know, touring here for a while before I I was uh, living here. But I was like, you know what? Let's just see what happens. Mer- uh, um, you know, the US is a big place. In know? 2020 hindsight, do you believe was the best decision? Um, yes, I do. I I wish, I mean, I wish that I could continue, could have continued to travel around the world more. But what happened when I moved here was like, you start thinking about how long it takes. You know, when you live in the UK, you're in the middle, right? So it doesn't feel like, oh my God, it's so far to get to age. Like, do you know what I mean? And when I moved here, I had to like pick and choose what was worth me traveling for. And for that reason, you know, maybe I, I stopped traveling the world as much and I kind of have been sticking to the US, which I, you know, I think I'm going to change that. Like maybe now that the, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but was it a good decision? I think so. I think I've grown so much as a person living here. Um, and I wouldn't, I'm a different person to who I was like five years ago. Do you know what I mean? I know so many more things. <laughs> Caper, is the American dream real? What they talk yes. about? Yes. Absolutely. 110% the American dream. It's real. If you have the balls to do it, like, you know, follow through, it's it's real. It's real. You know, honestly, like, I can go back home to the UK. I can go back to Croydon. And not to say that this is a bad thing or whatever, but, like, sometimes when I went, you know, before the pandemic, when I would go home, I'd be like, I. it's like I never left because everyone is doing the same thing over and over again. Like, and, you know, I just bought a house in Brooklyn. Like, I, who would have thought? <laughs> Me? Buy, buy a whole entire house in Brooklyn? Like, that's insane. But, you know, how I did that is I just believed, I guess, in the American dream. I came here. Uh, I, you know, invested, saved all my money, like, whatever. And I was able to to do it you know like people like you you have to you have to understand that like especially where I come from people look at like the U.S. as like such a big deal it's like oh my god you moved to America that's crazy like you know like and I'm like wow I'm doing it (laughs) it's crazy I own a house in Brooklyn Never thought that would happen. 
that like 16 year old little girl that was, you know, asking for milk crates to, to DJ on so that I could DJ. You know, I had no idea that this is what it would lead to, you know? So, so yeah, the American dream is a real thing. <laughs> and the last and final part, because I'll let you wrap this up, the projection of what the future is going to bring you as you keep on this journey. Uh, I think, um, I think just to continue on this path of like, just being, just knowing what I want to, you know, knowing what I want to do and actually like following through instead of like pleasing other people all the time, which is what I felt like I was doing before. I'm finally like for once in my life doing things that make me happy. So and that is making house music, playing house music, and just playing good music, not just house music, playing good music, not like, you know, being pushed in to doing this because it's a good look or this is da da da. Like, no, this is what I'm going to do whatever I want to do from now on. So that's it. That's Can I the most important part of this? Is your husband's profession in the music industry or is he outside the industry? Um, he comes from music. He used to um, work for Bad Boy Records when I first met him. And I first met him at SOBs the first time that I DJed in America. And he was in radio promotions at Bad Boy Records at that time. So he had to be there to give me records. Um, and then he worked at Universal, um, again, radio promotions. And then he left um the music industry because it's like you know how it is you know with big record labels there's only so far you can go right and so now he does not work in the music industry now he works in e-commerce <laughs> which is very boring no it's actually not boring it's actually quite interesting but yeah that's 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 his history <laughs> the thing about music is there's no two days alike with what we do there's always things that change what we do as well. And the constant changes of evaluating your life to what's going on with trends is another part of keeping with the game. And that's the toughest part with this music is constantly staying with the game and staying relevant, fresh, right? And it's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. And like I said before, it takes a certain type of person. And you're that kind of person, girl. You are that person. Hopefully. <laughs> well, you're proving it now. You got a Facebook gig later. <laughs> yeah. And you got other gigs that you're going to be doing. And she said it. Damn it. She's going to play house music. Well, I hope you support my records, too. Oh, of course. Yes. So, of course. I can't thank everyone enough who plays our stuff, of <laughs> course. And and I can't wait to meet you face to face. I will meet you someday. Yes. We spoke sure. and, and such an in-depth interview. And I can't thank you enough. <laughs> and by the way, everyone, she's been dying to order room service and she can't because she didn't want the bell to ring while we were in the middle of, of doing our thing. But also, oh yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, I can order room service later. That's all right. You got time. 1226 you got time and we're pretty much wrapped but i wanted to thank you and wish you a happy holidays oh one last thing mm -hmm. i'm not gonna get personal but i'm gonna get personal in a very nice way mm -hmm. being your feminine and a woman mm -hmm. you see yourself having children eventually with this type of career wow i have been waiting for someone to ask me this question for so long, Give no one ever asked. Oh, well, I, I had to ask because I'm a father. I have my daughter, she's 22. So let's hear your perspective on this. Um, I have been thinking, like, you know, I've, I've been married for five years now. And I've been thinking, okay, like, honestly, I thought that that's what I'm supposed to do. But then very recently i was like when have i ever done what i'm supposed to do like 
in my whole entire life. If you, you know, we talked about my whole entire history. I haven't done anything that I'm supposed to do. I've never done anything the normal way. So at this moment in time, I feel like I don't want to do that. And the problem is, is as, as women, we're always like, you know, how like society like pressures you to no, when you're this. certain. Yeah, this tick, 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 tick. Yeah, but I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing. I had to tell myself, you've never done anything the normal way. So maybe, hey, maybe I'll do a Kim Kardashian. Like, have a, like, you know, I don't feel ready at this moment in time to have kids. I don't want to have kids at this time. And I feel like when you get to a certain age, like women are so scared of just being like, I want to have kids. You know what I mean? Like we're so like scared of saying that because you're like so expected to have kids by a certain age. Like, no, I'm 38 years old. I'll figure it out. Like, I don't, I don't want to do it if it, if it, if I don't really feel it inside. And a lot of people have been like, oh, you'll regret it. If you don't, oh, I'll figure out a way. I'll figure out a way just as I always have. Like someone said something to me recently on my birthday, actually. Um, my friend was like, hey, uh, what did you wish for? And then he's, and then before I could even answer, he was like, never mind. I already know. He was like, you don't wish for anything because you just make it happen. Right. And I was like, that's right. That's all I've ever done is just make it happen. So whatever I want, I will make it happen when the time is right. But kids, I don't, I, I have so much more to do. So no. Not let's, let's speak from the male perspective now. Is the, is the husband asking, are you ready? Or is he just leaving it like, okay, let's do what you want to do when it's time is right. I'm when very blessed to have um, a husband that just supports everything that I you are very lucky, God, yeah. because that's always the problem with women DJs is that the yeah. man feels yeah. like he's left alone or he's not poor. I mean, can you imagine, like, look, I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I'm, but if if I had the way that I am with my dog, first first of all, right, I can't even imagine what I would be like with a child, where like you know I want to be with my dog all the time. So if I have a child. I know, like, you know, I want to, you know, I don't want to be that kind of mum that is, like, running around all the time and going to work. That's what my parents were like. They were always, like, at work. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I had my grandmother look after me. Like, I don't want to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it it has to be the right time where, like, maybe, hey, maybe in a couple of years I might be like, listen, I'm going to, uh, slow down on the DJing. I'm not going to DJ. Maybe I'm just going to sit at home and produce and that's all I'm going to do. But at this moment in time, as a traveling DJ, I just don't see it being a good idea. Like, it's not what I want to do. Do you know what I mean? I have so much more to do. Um, and, yeah, no. <laughs> I'll we figure it out. Writing that book. That book is going to come, the caper book. <laughs> Tagging all the way to open format and actually <laughs> how to keep a balance with a family. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. I just don't believe in um, doing everything by the book. I just don't believe in it, you know? Don't. Don't do it by the book. Stay I've never done anything by the book, so... And why should you now? I think that would mess up your MO. Your MO is not to it by the book. Go against the grain. Exactly. You're the salmon that swims up against <laughs> the water. You don't go down, you don't go downstream, you go upstream. Everybody's taking it easy. You're going upstream. You're doing it a little differently. And that's what makes you you. But good on you. And bless that road, that path you're on, because that path is is showing that it's working, it's plentiful. And you are very lucky and blessed that it's all going your way. And ask for a better situation. Yes. yes thank, you. thank you so much. Happy holidays. Good luck. Happy Rock holidays. on. Rock on with house music. Keep it going. Okay. I will do.
Thank you so much. Have a great day. And I wanted to say this. I got to advertise my next week. I got another UK coming, Chad Jackson, another DJ, another legend coming on. Tell his story right here on Trusters. The last show of the year, everybody. And then I'm taking a break for the holidays. Nice. 72 episodes, I deserve a break. <laughs> 72 <laughs> episodes, I deserve a break. I don't have BBC to say to me, okay, take, we're taking a month off. No, I don't have BBC. <laughs> so I have to do what I do. Again, thank you so much, Caper. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much. Have a great night. And thank you, everyone around the world. Have a great evening. See you all next week. Take care.